0: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member fdsc maryland sports fans there's only one sports book in the great state of maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers betfred sportsbook at long shots is now open and is the only sportsbook in frederick offering cash betting on football basketball world soccer and more visit the betfred sportsbook at i270 and md85 in frederick right next to Longshots off track betting go to betfredsports.com for more information and your- your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. A
1: little Janice for you and Bobby McGee offer Pearl album. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine, and this is the Goldmine Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. The album Pearl is the subject of the April 2021 issue of Goldmine with Janis Joplin on the cover. And it was, of course, released after Joplin's death and one of her finest albums, This podcast episode, we'll be talking to Michael Burns, the current biographer of John Till, the guitarist who was in Janice's Full Tilt Boogie Band, that great band that was featured on the Pearl album. John Till was close to Janice, even though they only knew each other for a short period of time, they became very close, they really liked each other, and if Janice liked you, she stuck by you. Now, Michael and John Till were both living in Stratford, Ontario area of Canada. That's near Toronto when they both met. And Michael will explain to you in the podcast how he started to document Till's interesting musical life. And on this episode, we'll talk about some misconceptions about the full Till's boogie story. Um, we'll talk about John Till's first band, the Revels, or the Revals, deciding how you want to pronounce it. But it was short for the Revolution. Uh, that that was John's first band, and he was in with Richard Manuel. Yes, that Richard Manuel, the band. And we'll talk about Till's time in the in Ronnie Hawkins' Hawks too. Also. Till's time in the Cosmic Blues Band with bassist Brad Campbell and how they went from that band to full tilt uh, to, you know, getting together with Janice. And of course, we'll talk about Joplin's manager, Al Grossman, and the producer, Paul Rothschild, and the whole making of Pearl. Basically, this is an extension of the print feature that ran in Goldmine. And we'll be right back after this message from CygnusRadio.com. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine, the
2: Music Collectors Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com.
1: Michael? Hi. How, how are you? I'm doing good. You're in Toronto. Um yeah. John's in uh, Stratford, right?
0: On yeah, I, I actually, um, I'm actually in St. Mary's, just outside of Stratford. Oh, okay. I lived in Stratford uh, for for ten years. I, um, I, I bought a B and B in Stratford about ten years ago, and I was getting photographs taken for it, and I got along really well with the photographer because I got a very large record collection and he he made a passing comment he said you know you'd get along really well with my friend's dad he used to play for Janice Joplin and i said what <laughs> <laughs> anyway anyway so i started envisioning you know having a concert in my living room and i got in touch with John and we hit it off and quickly became friends and he did over the years he played a few concerts with Eugene Smith in my living room and and we hit it off and then i uh, got to know him really well and uh one day i said to him how come nobody's written your story down? And he said, I don't know, who'd read it? And I, I, I have a journalism background, so I, I said, I'll do it. So we started, co- you know, cooperating together and collaborating, and he'd come over for dinner, and I'd cook him hot dogs or whatever. It was all pre-pandemic, of course. And uh, he'd start telling me stories. <laughs> it was uh, it was uh, interesting. The, the The thing that really annoyed him at first was, you know that story I told you about the Drop the L and tilt. Yeah, that that he said that story's been hounding me for years. <laughs> he says it's absolutely false.
1: <laughs> What's interesting about that is I, I I went back, you know, I talked to the writer about that, and she said that the band, um, one of the members, came up with that. Like, let's just the story. Like, let's let's make it sound like a full tilt. Boogie, and then they the two L's would refer to John, not not be his band. Just kind of like as no.
0: well. I I asked John <clears> about that as well. Yeah, back and he said no. He said he said none of that ever happened. He says the the name came because we just thought we sounded like a full tilt hard on boogie band, <laughs> and we said we'll just say you know what kind of music do we play? And somebody said full tilt boogie, and they all went yeah, that's it. And John, like you know, there's another story out there that that John convinced Janice to hire his old band, yeah, which is which is completely false. So um, when they when he found out that the Cosmic Blues was being disbanded because he was in that previously, yeah, with uh, with uh, Brad yeah. Campbell, and uh, those two, that um, he said they're taking off out of Nashville when when it became apparent that New York. The gig in New York was going to be uh, their last concert. I'm sorry, they were going to Nashville, their third last show on that tour. And Brad came back to where John was sitting and said, you know, it it is the last tour, but I think Janice wants to keep you and me on. And um, so after that tour, John went back to Stratford and Janice had left it as a call me. So on new year's eve he called her and said how's it going and there was a party in full swing at her place and she was of like come no, you're not here <laughs> <laughs> and uh john said well do you want me to come she says yeah man we got to make a band so 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 john uh, went to um san francisco about a week later um but it, but that's funny too because when he got there he couldn't find janice he couldn't find anybody because janice it turned out had, had gone to brazil <laughs>
1: And, that's right you know,
0: just 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 to get away from the the drug scene and all that so john and and dorcas that's his wife ended up uh, with with their two-year-old baby at the time michael ended up at um uh, what hotel was it the l might be the El cortez hotel in san francisco he said i don't know how we ended up there i don't know if Janice people booked it for us or if, or if i got a taxi and said, take it to the hotel he said but it was too expensive. He said, I didn't have a lot of money, and I was quickly using it up. So after a few days, he and his wife decided, you know what? Maybe we should just go back to Canada. And they, they were thinking about that because they they couldn't find anybody. They, they had no way of contacting anybody, and, and Janice was not there. So they were leaving the hotel to go for dinner to decide if they were going to go home or not. And John said, "I think we were, were pretty sure we were going to go home." And as they got to the lobby, they couldn't leave the hotel because somebody was pushing a Hammond B three organ through the door to get into the hotel. And uh, John recognized the guy, and it was um, it was uh, uh, oh god, R- Richard Crumoe, who was in Cosmic Blues with him, <laughs> was 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 pushing was coming into the hotel to play a gig, and. And, uh, he had one of the full tilt, or sorry, one of the Cosmic Blues, uh, roadies with him, helping him with his organ. And J- John couldn't believe it, so they got talking. And, um, Richard said, well, What are you doing? He says, Well, we're probably going back to Canada because we don't know what's going on. We-, we can't find anybody. And, uh, he said, Well, I need a place to f- to stay too. Why don't we get an apartment together? So they did. Wow. And they split the cost. And then, uh, he phoned, um, I think it was, uh, Richard Carmode phoned, Albert Grossman, and said, put this guy on the payroll. Yeah, And uh, and so he did, and so that's how he, he ended up staying in San Francisco. But if, if he hadn't have bumped into Richard in the lobby, he, he would have, have come home and maybe not been in that band, you know?
1: <laughs> Is it true that um, Janice thought some of the guys were too square? There's a No, no, no.
0: She, no, did, no. she in Full Tilt Boogie
1: no the the cosmic blues band
0: no no cosmic blues was um she she liked the she she liked the band uh, according to john um i mean i've heard that too that you know she thought people were square but she she really didn't as far as i know but there were tensions in the band like uh john had replaced Sam Andrew. Yeah. And and there's all kinds of you know rumors about why that happened and John's not really sure, but it might have had something to do with uh, his his heroin use. Um you know, which Grossman didn't like because it was affecting Janice, who he was trying to right. you know, trying to keep, you know. And uh and and Lewis Gasca was one of the horn players. And he was firmly in the Sam Andrew camp, and he didn't he didn't really want John to, to he he didn't think John belonged in Cosmic Blues, and John told me the story about they were playing the Hollywood Bowl, and he went over to shake Lewis's hand, and Lewis just turned and walked away. Wow! So there was little tensions. There was little tensions like that.
1: Yeah. And it
0: was more like Janice liked the horn sound, but she found it really hard on stage to sing over them, and it was just and it was really expensive to 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 keep that act on the road sure. and. You know, pe- people came and went and, and maybe some of them, you know, were a bit square, like, uh, but I, I don't know that she ever so, said that or so thought So, you know that. what like, happened? Louis Gasca. Right. Sorry?
1: You know what happens? One remark can travel and make history, you know? She could have made one oh, remark sure. to yeah. someone yeah. and then, you know, it's set in stone. So that's the problem yeah. with music history, you know?
0: Um, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's so true.
1: Um, there there's a very interesting story that you said that hopefully will be in the book in the biography um you're you're writing um with John uh that John after recording Mercedes Benz, he was in the studio with her doing the vocal demos, yes. right? And they went to a local restaurant for lunch and they learned about Hendrix Hendrix's death. And yes. he John was as shaken as her and said, "Please don't follow in his footsteps." And she replied, "You know she's having too much fun to check out now."
0: And yeah, that's we, that, yeah, that's exactly what happened.
1: That um, really they, sent. They, they had been shivers down yeah, my spine. It's true. Yeah.
0: Well, they they were in the studio working on on uh, Pearl and Janice had <clears throat> had this idea for the song Mercedes Benz, which she right. took from an old um, Michael McClure song.
1: Right. She sang and, it she sang it at the Fillmore uh while waiting uh before performing at the Fillmore, I think, at a bar, right? Or so something. Well, to that effect. Well, what had
0: happened was they were in Port Chester, New yes, York, I think. And that's before it. before they yeah, before they did the show, um Janice, McClure, um, Nick Gravenitis, I think was there, Bobby Newark. Yes. And Gerald uh, Rick Torn and and Geraldine. Yes. uh what's her name? Were, were there as well, and Janice said, I, "I can't get this song out of my head." She started singing, "Won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz," which was a reference to a Michael McClure song. Yeah. And as they were playing with the lyrics, she said, "Bobby, write this down." So Bobby knew her. Started writing <laughs> down the lyrics that she was making up on a napkin, and then uh, they got going. they were having a grand old time, and and John actually wrote some of the lyrics, but never got credited for it. Right. And what had happened was she had said, what else can we be thankful for? And John said, I just looked around and saw everybody with their drinks in their hand, and I said, a night on the town. And she and she said, Janice looked at him and said, perfect, write that down, Bobby. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Just just little things like that. But John said, that night, while they were playing in Port Chester, she yeah. sprained the song on the band. They'd never played it, they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's crazy.
0: <laughs> but, uh, and I'll tell you something else that's interesting about Full Tilt Boogie. Um, they're, they had a meeting in New York, uh, according to John, and, yeah. and uh, he was there, um, uh, uh, R- Richard was there, Richard Bell, Albert Grossman, Janis Joplin, the rest of the band was there, but it was basically those four at one end of the table that were sort of paying attention. And Janis said to, um, uh, to Albert Grossman, this record is not going to be a solo record, this right. is a band record. And her exact words were, I want everybody to get a piece. Yes, and and Grossman said no. I don't think that's a good idea. And she said no. This is the best band I've ever had. You know, I, I want uh, we're going to make a record like you wouldn't. Believe it. I want everybody to get a piece. So they argued back and forth, and Grossman finally relented and said he'd have the papers drawn up and signed, and everybody would get a piece. But then she died, and nobody could mm. remember. <laughs> you know, conveniently, you know, nobody recalled this conversation. John said he and Richard walked out of the restaurant that day thinking they'd hit the big time. Well, uh, she was smart. That's why that record's so good. Right. That that record's so good because we put our all into it because it was our record
1: too. That's right. She was smart. Yeah. She knew that having a band committed to a project, to a band, feeling like they're a family... Would they would make great music together? It wouldn't, yeah. you and what? Yeah, said
0: that's that's why the album cover is designed like it is. Her on the front, and the band on the back. Yeah. He, he said she wanted equal billing in a way. So yeah. So but but now later on, you know they they uh, talked to lawyers at some point. I don't think it went very far, but the lawyer was basically saying, okay, she said she wants you to get a piece. Did she say how big the piece was? <laughs> like, right. You know. You know, there was no definition, right? So it just didn't, it didn't happen. Yeah, the Janice as a state doesn't have anything to do with Fultil Boogie, so.
1: Yeah, the best part of the um, article that we did in the April issue was, uh, the April 2021 issue was interviewing her family and getting a inside look at Janice as a kid. And um, mm-hmm. there was a lot of depth in her as a human being. Yeah. uh,
0: Yeah. Well, you you know, she, John, John and her were great friends. Like they, like they really, really connected well. And they, they were only together for, I don't even think two years, really. Yeah. And uh, you know, like, like his third gig with her was Woodstock.
1: (laughs) That is insane. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like
0: even more insane. Yeah. It gets more insane because John had been playing with Ronnie Hawkins for several years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they
0: were playing, I, yeah, I know. Like they, they were playing bars in Toronto, and they were doing these month-long residencies, but, you know, it was getting to be the, the late 60s, and, you know, Ronnie Hawkins sort of, filled, you know, music was sort of falling out of style, and this new stuff was coming in, which, by the way, he thought was a fad, run. but they, they got back from uh, a cross-Canada tour. And, you know, La Le- Le- door had, had had dried up, uh, uh, so had a few other places. It was harder to find these residencies. So so Ronnie moved out to Streetsville, which John said was a pain in the butt because before he just had to hop a subway and go downtown and he was at a club. Now he had to make his way to Streetsville and back every day. But Ronnie got a, a gig in the, in, the, in the strip mall, the basement of a strip mall, a bar, And John got out there, and he said the first night was crazy. It was packed. It was insane. It was really great. I thought this is going to be a really good one. But every other night was empty. Well, it turned out the bar was brand new and it had opened, and the first night drinks were free. (laughs) (laughs) But but every other night was like an empty house, and and John was getting sort of discouraged. You know, like he was thinking, I've been doing this for 10 years. It's, you know, I got a kid. Like, you know, do I keep doing it, or do I find a real job, you know? And then about... A week into this residency, Ronnie came in and said, "Hey boys, I just got us a a slot at the 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 Toronto Rock Festival, whatever it was. Uh, the band's going to be there, and they were being billed as music from Big Pink. The band music from Big Pink. Uh, Chuck Berry was going to be there. All these other bands were going to be there. And John got excited because his friends were in, in the band, you know, right. and he figured he he would hook up with them again. And that day, uh, that weekend came." And the band played on Saturday, the Hawks played on Sunday, and Saturday night, just as a surprise visit, uh, Levon, Rick Danko, Albert Grossman and his wife, and somebody else showed up at the bar and announced this, you know, this empty room, right? Right. And uh, so Ronnie said, all right, boys, enough, enough. Off with the suits, let's rip. So they just just ripped, like they just played. And everybody got together and got up on stage, and they had a ball. Well, the next day... um, while John was tuning up backstage at Varsity Stadium, uh, Grossman came over and said, Hey, I saw you play last night. Uh, I, I like your style. And John said, thanks and all that. And, oh, and, and the, the sorry, the, the night before, he had talked to Rick Danko, and he, and he said, you know, I'm getting a little bit fed up. And Rick said, well, have you ever heard of Janis Joplin? And believe it or not, John had never heard of her. Huh. John didn't know who she was. And Rick laughed and he <clears> said, <throat> you know, she, she might be looking for a new guitar player, and that's her manager over there. You should talk to him. And John was going, do you think it'd be a good move for me? And Rick said, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so the next day, when Grossman was talking to him, he said, you know, I, I liked your style and all that. And he turned to walk away, and he turned around, and he said, oh, by the way, I talked to Rick. Would you like the gig with Janice? And John said, sure. <laughs> but he didn't know what he got into. So after the show, he and his wife went to a, music, or a theater on Young Street to watch Monterey Pop, which was playing there. Because Janice was in it, and yeah. he watched her, and he said, I started to wonder what the hell I've got myself into. This chick running around screaming over a basic 12-bar blues. What the hell? He says, I had to gig with Ronnie. What was I going to get that up for? <laughs> <laughs>
1: we
0: <clears> flew seeing- him out to Connecticut a week later to see a show there, and then it hit him. You know, It was a different band by then, right? So it was, you know...
1: Well, she and then
0: three three gigs later, he's at Woodstock from a barn in Streetsville to Woodstock in two weeks.
1: Well, it seems with her like you know they knew each other for two years, right? But if she liked you, she was all in. She was your friend for life. Um, she she
0: was she was John's great friend. She yeah. like she she was a very good friend, and he learned a lot from her. Yeah. And she was very serious about her music, and, and so was John, you know. like, in, in that level of rock and roll lifestyle everybody's always partying and stuff right john really wasn't he right. said everybody else would be in the next room partying and i'd be in the back you know doing my lips
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's just it. some some didn't have as crazy a lifestyle as people think you know people think yeah. that everyone was uh full tilt um drug scene <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. But... but, but, like, I mean, John dabbled here and there. Yeah, I mean... He he, he told me of uh, the story, when he went to San Francisco, he said, you know, back in those days, drugs were mostly psychedelics, and and they weren't done for recreation. They were done for, like, mind expansion, and people were really serious about this. Yeah. So The Timothy Larry thing, yes. Yeah, exactly. He was going to the airport with his wife and two-year-old daughter to fly to San Francisco Mm. to be with Janice and start his new band, and he reached in his pocket and he found a little bit of mescaline left over from whenever. And he said, "Oh, I said I don't want to cross the border with that." He says, "Ah, you know what? I'll just eat it. It'll, the plane's going to take off in half an hour. It'd be a nice, cool flight. It'd be relaxing." <laughs> so, so he took it, went in the airport. Then the plane got delayed for two hours. <laughs>
1: oh man!
0: And his wife looks at him and says, "Are you high?" He's <laughs> <So laughs> just looking out the window at all the pretty planes, you know. <laughs> So, but, uh, uh, but it, it's, it's interesting
1: that he, I mean, at the age of twelve, right? He's in this band, mm-hmm. the Revels. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, and it's right. with Richard they're, they're Manuel. Rebels,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Don had a friend, Don Manuel, who was Richard's brother.
1: Wow, and they
0: lived around the corner from each other, and uh, and they all knew each other in school, and John was the youngest person in the school at that time he was 12 you don't go to grade nine when you're 12 (laughs) but he did he skipped a couple of grades and uh so he was hanging out with don and they went over to don's house where richard was playing piano with his friends and he had a couple of friends had guitars and he was singing and john said i was really struck by this kid's voice you know and uh and uh so uh he he mentioned that he had a guitar and and richard said hey man why don't you go get it so John ran ran around the corner, got his guitar, went back to uh, the Manuel's house, and he said, "I whipped off the Tallahassee Lassie thing," and it, and Richard was so impressed. He said, "Hey, do you want to join my band, like on the spot?" So they did. Now they were originally called the Rebels because that was right. Eddie's band, huh. and everybody wanted to be a rebel. So every town had you know a rebel in it. Well, Richard had a thirty-eight. 38- Nash Rambler, I think it was. They had to push to start. And one day it was kind of snowing, and it was wet. And they, they went for a coffee, and they were driving around. In Stratford, there's a river, and they're on the north side of the river just flying down the road, Richard driving there, up on people's lawns doing donuts and stuff. And and John's holding on for dear life, and Richard says, you know what, man, we've got to change our name. There's too many rebels. I think we should call ourselves the Revols. It's like revolutionary. And John's ah. like, yeah, okay, sounds good to me, man.
1: The Reevols. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Do the Reevols?
1: Uh, so, do the have some demos that have not been um, heard? I
0: I don't. Uh, I, I have to look in my notes, but I don't think they actually ever recorded. Um, That's their too bad. big break came when they like they started to get a really good local following because they they actually were a really good band.
1: How would and, you describe them?
0: They, oh, they're they're rock and roll like just you know rock and roll you right. know uh, early sixties you know it's just just really like in-your-face rock and roll. They, right. And and they were all really good. Yeah. Um, and, and Richard was a great keyboard player. But, but I mean, think about it. These two kids lived around the corner from each other and they both ended up playing Woodstock in different bands.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, that must have been weird when they met each other at Woodstock. Obviously, they had different routes. and
0: Oh, no, they, 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 <clears throat> they kept in touch over the years. They were always friends.
1: But did they know, I mean... I'm not sure John knew, I mean, his third gig, he ends up at Woodstock and all of a sudden he, he, did he see Richard there? I mean, I'm wondering how that. No,
0: when, when John went to Woodstock, um, Michael Lang who put the festival together had lent Janice a big A frame house, I think on the outskirts of town. Uh, and so the band moved the band moved in there for a week or two of course, to yeah. to rehearse. Yeah. And, but Janice wasn't there. She was out in California doing stuff. She'd pop in once in a while and they'd whip through the set list they were working up. Um so John was basically uh he was flown in uh and then flown out. Yeah. Now he was he, I mean, he was backstage, and it got to be later and later and later. And, and he said, you know, for all the debauchery associated with Woodstock, it was hard to get a beer buzz. There was nothing there. Like, you <laughs> know, it, it, was, it, was, it was just, he said, you'd see somebody with a beer, and you'd go, where'd you get that? And, but it was like chasing a Ghost.
1: He, he said there was
0: nothing there. There wasn't enough seats. The, the toilets were overflowing. Like, it was just a disaster. And he thought that they weren't even going to get a chance to play. He said, this is getting stupid. Like, are we even going to be able to go on? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, they finally did. But uh, he said, we were just running on adrenaline at that time.
1: That's, that's pretty funny. Uh, Another thing I wanted to ask you before we, one of the last questions is in the studio for Pearl, did everyone get along? Um, Everything went smoothly, right? Um,
0: Everything went absolutely wonderfully well. They they were a, a, a band that enjoyed being in each other's company. Right. They were all very serious about it, and they they played live off the floor. Like Perl was recorded live, yes. And uh, buried alive in the blues was supposed to have a vocal track.
1: I, I heard that
0: by Nick Gravenites. Yeah. And so they were so on the third they were rehearsing it, and Janice had the vocals, and she was trying, but she just wasn't happy, and every take they did. She just wasn't comfortable with, with it yet. She didn't like her phrasing or whatever. So they tried one more take at it on the third in the evening, and Janet said, Oh the hell with it. I'm gonna I'll do it tomorrow. But you know, she died that night.
1: Yeah.
0: And um and and uh the other there's another story, a really good story about Pearl. Um the the song My Baby. There were two versions of it. Um Paul Rothschild really liked um uh, uh, what was this? uh Sunset Sound Studio. Right. CB, uh, was a Columbia, uh, anyway, the, the, the label liked their studio. And so Paul Rothschild recorded my baby in the, the CBS studio, I think it was, and, uh, and, and also in Sunset Sound, just as demos. Well, the one in Sunset Sound had... Just wasn't that great. But the one that was recorded at the other studio had a really good vocal track and they didn't have enough songs for this album. So Paul Rothschild came to John one day and said, I got an idea. So he took the demo of My Baby and took, took all the music off it except for the drum track, which he mixed down so that they could have, you know, a time signature. Hmm. And then the band gathered in the studio live and re-recorded all the music. Under this pre-existing vocal track from the other take, and the only person who could hear the drums to keep tr- was was uh, Clark Pearson on drums. Mm. And John said it was really. He said, you know, when we get when we play that song, there's a part in the middle where Janice pauses, and she had this thing where she raise her arm up and bring it back down, and that'd be the cue to come back in. He says, I forgot she wasn't there, I looked up for my cue.
1: <laughs> yeah, I heard they all but, got along. They got along with Paul. great friends. And, yeah. and that's what the magic of them, they were able to keep on going after Janice, after she passed. Yeah. Of, of course they wanted yeah, and, to and finish the band, it.
0: The, the band wasn't put together by, by John. It was put together by Grosby. Right. Although John had some influence. Like when he was waiting around for Janice to come back from uh, Brazil, yeah. he and, he and uh, Brad, um, needed to start playing somewhere. They were just sitting around for a month having fun, right? Right. And so Richard Richard Bell phoned Snooky Flowers, who'd been a sax player, I think, in in Cosmic, to see if there's any gigs going. And Snooky said, I need a guitar player and a keyboard player like tonight. So they went to this strip bar called the Galaxy. <laughs> And John said it was really weird. He said they had these big pillars, and the strippers would be on top of the pillars, like above your table, you know, those big pillars <laughs> in in San, place all over the place. In San Francisco? And during a break, I'd sit down and put a hand over my drink, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But, but they were playing <laughs> with Snooky's band, and they went yeah. upstairs before they got on, and, and uh, they practiced a bit. Yeah. And Brad said to John, what do you think of, of his drummer? And John said yeah. "It's pretty good. So Janice came in to see them play one night, with Grossman uh, and uh, uh, Brad said to her, what do you think of uh, the drummer in this group? You should check him out. So she invited him up to her house in, in uh, Larkspur and he got the gig. That's how he became the, the the drummer in Full Tilt Boogie from Strip Club to Janice Johnson. Wow. <laughs> so, so, you know, there's all these little stories behind it. Yes. Right? And and that's what the book we're writing is, is full of these little stories. Well, that, this is, um,
1: this is what I want to push. I want to, hopefully, gold miners, you know, listen to this and are ready to read this biography. When when can they expect it? When?
0: Well, we're about we're about eighty percent done. I mean, I'm 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 shopping for a publisher. So if you know anybody right. wants to publish it,
1: I'm sure there'll be people who will, because um, it sounds but, very um, interesting. Hopefully, this podcast helps. Um, I'm sure oh, it will. That'd be
0: great, thank you. Um, I, I talked to, to John. I told him I was doing this. He goes, "Yeah, okay." You talk to me. He says, "I'm I'm pretty much done talking to people about Janice." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, he's, but he's he does talk to me, and and we yeah. talk regularly every week. So,
1: well, Michael, thank you very much. Let's let's stay in touch, okay?
0: Welcome.
1: And yeah. uh, I, know, I really want to see this thing. Magazine. I want I really want to see this thing published. Um, there's not enough about Janice. Uh, there's not enough about John. Um so No there
0: isn't. And and it's a great story. It's a it's a it's kind of a Cinderella, you know. But,
1: yes, it is. And I think these a, are the kind of books story. that people want to read, you know, the yes. the really the behind the scenes uh stuff. Yeah. Like you said, a, a yeah. lot of the books out today are are kind of um, you know, by the numbers, right? Uh, from, yeah. you know the the rumors that people have heard, um, the the stories that have been passed down, but this is straight from the person who has lived
0: it. Like, when you were saying that uh, John went to the restaurant with Janice after recording the demo, you know, it was just him and her in that room when he did the vocal demo for yeah Mercedes Benz, and she, it was just a demo because she didn't know if the song fit her style, so she was going to record a vocal demo let Paul Rothschild decide. She recorded two vocal demos, and in the end, they just Went with one of them. Yeah. But uh, it was supposed to be worked up by the band, but never was.
1: <laughs> yeah, her death was one of the saddest things of uh, rock history.
0: Yeah, John John told me that she was expected in the studio and they were waiting for her. And, and Rothschild went to make some inquiries and uh, John went for a cup of coffee. He felt like a coffee. So he went to um, down to the lobby, put a quarter in the machine. He looked out to the parking lot these big glass doors in the parking lot, and he saw Paul Rothschild standing there with John Cook, and Rothschild had his hand up on Cook's shoulder, and, and Cook was looking down, shaking his head, and almost crying. And John said, "I knew something had happened, but I didn't know what." Yeah. And uh, he went back to the studio, and then they came in and told him. But he's, yeah. you know, just just devastating all the way around.
1: Yeah, he probably thought about the and, restaurant, and, um, what he said in that restaurant that that day. Right oh away. yeah,
0: for 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 sure, he went back to the hotel, and actually. Paul Rothschild and John Cook had said, do not talk to anybody, do not talk to reporters, especially. So John was somebody that if you told him not to do something, he wouldn't do it, so he went back to the hotel. There was all kinds of cops and ambulances and fire trucks, and he went into the hotel where his wife was, and she's going, what the hell's going on? And John went, nothing. Jeez. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the next, like, what what happened in the days following? So John and I talked about that, you know, there's, they didn't leave the hotel for four or five days. And wow! Chris Christopherson was there. Um, he he moved into the hotel to keep people company. Wow! But, uh, well, well, they didn't like Richard had a had a room and he had a, or, or Pearson had a room and he had a little roads in there just to sort of play yeah. keep keep his mind off things. And John went in there once and Chris Christopherson was in there and a few other guys were in there and they did have a little like gem in her memory kind of thing, you know. Yeah, but that was it. It was sad all the way around. It, it was over.
1: Yeah. it's it's a shame, man. And then yeah. came the seventies. Anyway. fault
0: Oh, well, <laughs> but, but, but you know, Pearl like John made less than eight thousand dollars off Pearl. Yeah. Basically. You know, and, and it's uh, it's a great album, one of the greatest albums of all time. And who, just think what they could have done next.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, that's that's the that's the kicker right there but uh, I look forward
0: to this biography when it's done you gotta, well I look forward to finishing it it's been on the go for a few years now
1: <laughs> yeah well it takes time so
0: it does. it's does it, I'll, I'll tell you a funny John story I'll leave you with a funny John story this is how serious a musician John is and he'll just say things like this you know like they, they just sort of pop out once in a while he'll say uh, my fridge hums in B or B flat. I said, I said, what? He says, well, when I'm playing guitar at home, like if we have friends over and I start to play guitar, if I hit a B or a B flat, it's sort of the, the fridge gets in the way. He says, so when I'm home, I tune my guitar to the fridge. I turn it to a B <laughs> between a B and a B flat. So it's in tune with the fridge and it doesn't bother me. That <laughs> is Only funny. A serious musician does stuff <laughs> like that.
1: <laughs> and you said he's retired now. That's the. That's too bad. He did
0: his last gig. Well, he, I mean, he played for years after Janice. He, he played, you know, in B.W. Polly, and, and he played in, in lots of other stuff and uh, he did his last gig. They did a tribute to, like, as you know, Stratford's a festival town. Yeah. With the theater and all that and they have a big music festival as well and one of the shows last year was a tribute to, to the uh, uh, 60s or Woodstock, I can't remember, but Janice Joplin was a big part of it. So they put together a sort of a tribute band, they had John come out and play for a, a few, uh, or like two or three songs, and he almost wasn't up to it. His health is kind of, you know, uh, it, it comes and goes. Um, but uh, people, uh, you should have seen the crowd. They heard he was going to be there, so it was just this incredible crowd. And um, it was a great show. And, and after that, he, he hung up his guitar. He mm-hmm. was going to do a, an, an appearance the next day, but he just wasn't up to it. Yep and uh, and you know so he's basically hung up uh, but he he's, uh, he's he's doing well otherwise I mean uh, I talk to him every week two or three times and, and he's uh, he's doing well. I, I don't go over to his house with the pandemic and everything but right. he well, does not come over right now but uh, give him he's a-, he's, he's a wonderful guy he's had a great career and uh, it's it's an honor for me to be able to write his story you know um, it it started out he just wanted me to correct his Wikipedia page (laughs) and we still, we still haven't gotten around to it, but now we've got the story, right? So we just keep going and he wakes up and he goes, this thing keeps me going, Mike, this book keeps me going. I said, okay, let's do it. And he also says to me, he phoned me up the other day and he says, you still interested in this? You still want to keep doing it? And I said, John, yes. And, and I remember once he was at, at our house, he was having, we were having dinner with him and, uh, uh, he said, you, "You know, come on, Mike. Is, are you sure you want to keep doing this?" And I said, "John, I used to, I used to play air guitar to you when I was in high school. I mean, I'm 60 now. You know." And uh, I, I said, "18 year old me is having a really good time with this." And my wife looks up and says, yeah, so is 60 year old Mike." <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, he's a great guy, and it's an honor for me to be able to do it for him. Put it that way.
1: Tell him we uh, wish him we give them our best and all right and please keep in touch, Michael. Tell us how the book is going right. when it finishes. Okay, I will
0: do. And uh, and just on a side note, thanks so much for your magazine. I've got a rather large collection. Not by I mean maybe two or three thousand albums, but I've used Goldmine forever. I've been subscribing forever, and so it's it's a great great resource and great stories and and keep it up. Okay, you, man. You have a wonderful day. You and, too. Uh, thanks for calling, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank
1: you. We'll talk soon, okay? Bye-bye. bye now. Okay, Goldmine listeners, thank you for listening. Don't forget to go to Select Record Stores, Books A Million, and Barnes & Noble to pick up your print edition of Goldmine. You can also get exclusive content on goldminemag.com. You can subscribe there and get a percentage off the cover price. Okay, this is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine, signing off. We'll see you next time.